Romans chapter number 8. Let's, let's just start there. I, I think you can still hear me okay, can't you? For a few minutes. All right. Romans chapter 8. Verse number 29. For those whom he knew, foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. In this passage, we're working through uh, three wonderful words. The words predestined, the words conformed, and the words image. Those three are the ones that we are studying. We've worked on two of them already. We've talked about predestined and we've talked about conformed. And uh, today we're going to spend a lot of time on the word image and discuss what... Uh, this text will teach us in that department. So let's have a word of prayer as we uh, begin our study here today. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for your great love for us. And for this passage particularly that speaks of that love. We rejoice in what you are doing in our lives and what you will accomplish in the very end. We're just amazed that you would pick us to be the recipients of your love and your grace. And we thank you, Lord, so much for it. Use this uh, time this morning to challenge our hearts, but also to draw us so close to you, that we might come to appreciate what you're doing all the more. Thank you so very much. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking of the word image, and uh, that word's used in several different ways in Scripture. You'd be aware of that. And so I thought I'd bring something to your attention. When I pull out this, and I use the word image, you might be familiar with uh, a few Old Testament passages that talk about images. Isaiah does it especially in chapter 44 of his book. He speaks of a man who went out and cut down a tree in his yard. And he took the uh, log from that tree, and he cut it just right, and he set it in the fire so that he could make his lunch. He cooked over the burnt wood. He found it warm. He liked it very much. He said, this is just a wonderful fire. What a, what a terrific log. I'm slightly paraphrasing, but that's the idea. That he says, I like it so much, I'll take the rest of the wood and I'll make it into an image. He made it. He shaped it. He very carefully cut it. And he put eyes on it, and ears on it, and nose, and some mouth as well, and and he set up this image in front of him, and sometimes the scripture mocks him, and they said, make sure you nail it down so it doesn't fall over, but this is your God, that's what the man said, this is my God, and he bowed down, and he worshipped it. How would you like to worship a tree this morning? Now, this one's very special. It came from the parsonage. Out back, it's sanctified. You know what sanctified means, don't you? Set apart for a purpose, and it was. It's set apart for the fire pile. It's going to be in the fireplace sometime this winter. So it's set apart for a unique purpose. But people say, that's my God. And, And it's said many times in Scripture this way. It says, but it has eyes, but it can't see you. Do you want a God that can't see you when you need that? He doesn't know where you are. He doesn't know the danger you're in. He can't 
see your predicament? Would you like a God like that? It says, it has ears, but it can't hear you. You can plead with it. You can seek its forgiveness. You can, you can even say, help, when you're in a very desperate time, and it can't hear you. It has hands, but it can't do a thing. It cannot move. People think, that's the God I worship. Is that the God we worship? No, it's not. There's another one that's referenced in Scripture as well. Well, not exactly in Scripture, so to speak. But they use the same name that we use. They talk about the God. They talk about the Lord. They talk about uh, the Word of God. Uh, There's a group called the Deists who take the very Word of God that we have today, but they don't believe it's the actual revelation from God at all. They they believe that... uh, God speaks to us through nature. They believe that God speaks to us uh, in, in reason. And that the Word of God is not the revelation at all of the truth. You have to find it in things like trees. They believe that God that they talk about is one that's very impersonal. He really doesn't think about you at all. He doesn't care about what you do. They used to say in a, in a kind of a way that this God kind of wound up the world like a clock and just let it tick. That He's so removed from everything. He is not active in your life. He doesn't even care what direction your life is going. He's not a part of it. Is that the God we want? An impersonal God? See, here are some options for you this morning. You can worship the tree, but it can't do a thing for you. You can worship this other God who's impersonal and and has no care for you whatsoever and is never directly involved in the activities of your life. And that might give you a little freedom to think that you could do things your way. And some people kind of prefer that, don't they? They say, I want to do things my way. I'm going to accomplish it my way. I'm going to accomplish, you know, by my strength and my wisdom. And they think they're pretty clever. But they don't have a God who cares. All the way through Romans chapter 8, if I wanted to say it simply for you, I would say, there is a God who loves you very much. And He cares. And He's active. More than we even know, He is active in our lives. So much so that the words we study here today look like big, strong theological terms, but every one of them are shouting to you and me how much our God loves us. This is what He's done. And He's thought of you before this world was created. And He planned it out for you. We use the word predestined. He set the boundaries of your life. Not just the one you're living here in this body, but the one that transcends even into forever. He's figured that out. Predestined is an excellent word to show that God loves you. And then we saw the second word that we followed along, and that was the word uh, conformed. And that's more than just a, a verb. Like we read it in our text, it's like he's conforming us. The word is an adjective, and we talked about that last week. It's your identity. You are, in Christ Jesus, conformed ones. And we don't want to make a mistake on this. Everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ is being conformed. 
You have an identity in Him. You are a conformed one. And let's say, we are a lot different than we used to be. Let's start with the very fact of salvation. Are you not a new creature in Christ? I'd say that's pretty radical confirmation. I'd say, boom, you're different. He's changed us. But he's in the process of a great and wonderful work. And that's why the word image pops up on our page today. Because this is the, this is the outcome of his work. You see, we, we started with the fact that uh, uh, his action was predestined us. His, the identity is that he's conformed us. And the outcome is the image that we're going to speak of today. He's also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. The image of his son. It's kind of interesting. The whole time people are going around shaping wood into God, God's shaping us into him. That's incredible. Let's look at the text. It's so rich, so cool. I, I prefer a personal God. I know you do too. But in Romans eight twenty nine, it uses that word image. Uh, the Greek word is ikonos. We get the word icon from that. You know there were cameras. Years ago, maybe they still sell them. I don't know. I'm not in the camera world. My daughter is. She wants big ones. Uh, I don't have that money. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but icons, an icon, it was supposed to get the image, a sharp, clear image. It was, it was a very clever term to give for their camera, uh, the word image. But icon, that's a Greek word. And it is the word for image. It's the word for likeness. It's a word they use for even things like statues or profiles, resemblance. It's a host of words that all fit into this. And so when we start with the concept of an icon, we have like a picture, all right? We say, this is a picture of it. This is the icon. It's not the original. It's as if, I took pictures of all of you, and I, I put them on my wall somewhere, and I'd look at that. That's not you, that's the image of you. Many years ago, I've read missionary stories where uh, the missionaries would take pictures of natives who had never seen a camera before, and it alarmed them, because when they saw the image that the camera produced, they said, you stole our soul. They didn't understand, how did that little piece of paper end up with my image on it? And they thought there was some sort of magical device there that it stole their soul. It upset some tribes that people would take their picture. But you've got the idea in your head. I know, that's a simple concept, is to take a picture and what you have is a resemblance. Now the question we have here is, if we're being conformed, as conformed ones, we're predestined, which means it's not going to miss. When God says he predestined something, you know it's guaranteed. All right? We're predestined to be in the image of his son. Isn't that an incredible thought? We're predestined to be in the image of his son. What, what is that image? Is it an uh, external image or an internal image? That's the debate. And it's pretty well one-sided, by the way. Because if we talk external, that means 
everyone's going to have a beard. You say, no, then it can't be that, can it? Uh, if we're going to resemble Christ on the outside, uh, that's not what it means. You know that. It's external or internal. Will we look like him? When I was a student at uh, Moody Bible Institute, uh, there was a wonderful, wonderful little hamburger shop just down the street, about three blocks in Chicago from where we were. They sold the greasiest hamburgers and fries you'll ever see. Oh, they were delicious. We, you go there, and they dump it into a paper bag. I mean, just dump the french fries in and then drop the hamburger in on top, and you carry this bag. There. By the time you got back, it's just oozing with grease all on the outside. You said, ooh, this is going to be good. You know, now we can't do that anymore. That's not safe. But we, we used to love going down to Jay's to get hamburgers. But there was something also that was nice about that place. It was run by a bunch of, of Greeks. And um, these, these guys running this shop, when we walked in the door, they'd ask for your order as you enter. Right? So you always have to know. It's always by number. I want a number one. That was a cheeseburger, fries, and shake. All right? And so you walk in the door, and I say, what do you have? As you're stepping in the door. And you say, oh, number one. You know, and they said, Moody student. And you say, yeah, 10% off. It was worthwhile looking like that. We always thought, well, weren't we really that identifiable? That somebody could say, Moody student. I do know one college, which kind of impressed me and yet kind of alarmed me, too, that every student I met had the exact same haircut as the president of the school. So that's interesting. You know where they went to school by their haircut. When we look at this word, what are we copying here? Outward appearance? You're saying no. You're right. You're right. It's the inward thing. Matter of fact, that's where the word uh, conformed comes from. It's the shaping of the parts. It, it's the manipulation and the, the thorough changing of the parts. One commentator says it denotes the inward and thorough and not merely superficial likeness. He's doing a great work inside of us that we would be like Christ. Matthew Henry said it very well. Uh, Matthew Henry said this likeness is, is, is in this sense. Number one, he calls it, and I only have number one, there's like 14 points, but this is good. Holiness consists in our conformity to the image of Christ. This takes the whole of sanctification, of which Christ is the great pattern and sampler. To be spirited as Christ was, to walk and to live as Christ did, to bear our suffering patiently as Christ did. Christ is the express image of the Father, and the saints are conformed to the image of Christ. His comment is simple. It's all about holiness. That he is shaping us in our, in our appearance, in our walk, in our attitude. It's a holiness that we are being shaped to, because Christ is holy. And he resembles his father. Peter would say it this way in his epistle. He says, be ye holy. As God says, I am holy. That's our calling. To be 
holy ones. Now, it's an interesting thing back in uh, John chapter 14. You're familiar with the passage how Jesus starts in John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I'd tell you so. But I go to prepare a place for you. Aren't those precious words? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you under myself, that there where I am, you will also be. And then Thomas chimes in. He says, well, where are you going? And Jesus says, uh, to the answer to that effect, he says, uh, they... Thomas says, we don't know the way. And he says, oh, yes, you do. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And then Philip chimes in. His, his comment was wonderful. I think we might have said it, too. He said this, oh, these are great things, Lord, but all you have to do is show us the Father, and that's all we need. Just give us a glimpse of the Father. Just show us the Father, and we'll be content. And Jesus answered him with a powerful statement. He says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus knew he was in the image of his Father. He knew it. He could say that so confidently, so straight to the point. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, I'm going to say this before I go and fill out the rest of the blanks. But if somebody sees you, have they seen Christ? Whose image are you being conformed to? The image of Christ. Let me tell you what it means. You ready? That Christ is in the image of the Father, it says so in many places. Here's one particularly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4. Paul's talking about the gospel that they proclaim, and he says it's, it's veiled to those who are perishing. They can't see it. Why can't they see it? Why can't they see the glory of the gospel? Well, Paul answers that, he says in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Now, the God of this world, that's small case G. We're, talk, we're talking about Satan. And what he has done, he's blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. He doesn't want them to see it because he knows when they see it, they'll believe it. And when they believe it, they shall be like Christ. Because... That gospel of the glory of Christ speaks of a Christ who is in the image of God. You see that? Last part of verse 4. In other words, you have somebody who doesn't want you to be in the image of Christ. He doesn't want you to be in the image of Christ. Here's another passage. Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians 1 verse 14. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So that's not too hard to find. It's speaking of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to just start in verse 13, but it's verse 15. I want to give you the power, the, the point to it. He says in verse 13, For he, speaking of Christ, rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, this is Jesus Christ here, 
uh, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the exact copy of his Father. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, he didn't just slowly grow into this. That's who he is. Colossians would talk about him from eternity past and what he's done. He is God. And it's an incredible passage. But the point is that when the apostles saw him, they were looking at God. The image of God. Everything about God is in him. The image of the invisible God. Now, we see that and we say, okay, that's theological. That's pretty powerful. Yes, it is. There's other passages, on and on and on you could go. The Jews always got upset with Jesus for associating and uniting himself with God the Father. They said, that's blasphemy in their book, that he should claim to be deity. But who else was he but the son of his father? And he spoke it so clearly. We have that true and true enough in Scripture. It's easy to see. But here's what really is powerful. As he is in the image of the Father, it says here in Romans 8, verse 29, the Father predestined us to the image of his Son. Now, the goal is not that you get to heaven. Although you're going to get to enjoy that as believers in Christ. That wasn't his, his thoughts. Well, I've got to figure out how to get them to heaven. And boy, got them in. You know, that's not what he's about. The goal, the outcome of his great work of predestining us, saving us, justifying us, sanctifying us, the whole process is that we end up in the image of his son. That's the outcome of the passage. That's why he did all this work. The ramifications are incredible. Not nearly resembling Christ, but even further than that, representing Him. Down here on this earth, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You represent Him to the world around you. That's His work, not just in your life to make you like Him, but to change us in our character, in our actions, in our words, in every part, to be like Christ. We are to correspond to the original. Now, many years ago, when I was in Bible college, I worked at Domino's Pizza. That was uh, a good way to earn a little bit of money. Wear out your vehicle at the same time. But there in the, the uh, shop where the pizzas were made, up on the wall, was a giant picture of a pizza. And when we made pizzas on the, on the uh, uh, trays there to prepare them, we had to keep making sure it corresponded to that picture. Yes, you even count the pepperonis. You make sure it's just designed like that picture. That was the goal, that whatever went out of here looked like that picture. We never sent the picture 
We always sent a copy of it in the form of something edible. We are corresponding to Christ. We all confess we're certainly not the original, are we? But we are to have that same exact image. What people see, do they see Christ? That's where we're supposed to be. Now, right now, as a pastor, I think you get very practical, applicable. I could start saying stuff like that, right? But here's the beauty of it. I know what he's doing in our lives. And I know what the outcome will be. You will be in the image of his son. That is not a doubt in God's plan. Pastors could fret all day long whether or not you are or you're not. They could pull out their hair trying to get you to do something. Whether you do or you not, don't do it. But God's already at work in you as a believer in Christ, isn't he? And he will do that in you. He will do that in you. He's the only one, by the way, who could change a person from the inside out. And that's what he's doing. The ramifications is that we are to correspond to the original. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse number 18, this is how Paul says it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with our face having been unveiled, having beheld the glory of the Lord in a mirror, we are being changed into the same image of the Lord from glory to glory as from the Lord's Spirit. Now, did you catch those words? You're looking in a mirror. Who do you see? This passage is kind of funny, the way it says it, right? You look in a mirror, and who do you see in that passage? It's Christ. And looking at Him is changing me. And do you not know that's true? The more time you spend with Him, the more you start to think like Him, the more you start to talk like Him, the more you start to walk like Him, because you're being changed from glory to glory as you look in that mirror and you see Christ. You see Christ. Ultimately, it will be that way. John tells us so in 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. But we shall see Him as He is. That's a very confident statement. That's from a man who walked with Christ for three some years. A man who had his questions and had his challenges and sat next to Peter on several occasions and knew Judas pretty well. He saw a lot of people. He ministered for some 60 years after Christ had risen up into heaven. And I don't know how many days went by that he didn't think, I can't wait to be with him. I can't wait to be with him. And when I am, I will be like him. What an ambition in life 
What a desire. And I ask you, do you have it? To be like Christ. I don't understand Christians who don't want to be like Him. Or who don't care to be like Him. Or say, well, this is my life, or I live it like I want. I don't know how we can love what the Lord gives to us in forgiveness and mercy and love and grace and all these things, and say, I don't want to be like Him. I don't understand that. Because the passage says, we are being conformed to the image of His Son, and our hearts ought to just well up and say, yes! That's what I desire! That's what I want! I can't wait. That's the process He's doing now in our life. That's what He's doing now. You're a conformed one to the image of Christ. That's what the passage says. Not just similar in appearance, folks. We're talking about character. We're talking about actions. We're talking about condition. We're talking about the nature. We're going to be like Him. And it's inevitable that we will be. I love that little quote. I've said it to you before. Wherever the Spirit is at work, change is inevitable. That's the way He does things. And I'll add another thought while I was thinking just popped into my head. How many times have you noticed a couple being married for many, many years but they start to resemble one another? They used to say that of pets too, right? But we'll skip that one. But... Uh, you start to think, yeah, those, you can tell those two are, are a married couple by their resemblance. The church is the bride of Christ. What shall we be when we're joined with Him? These are the words I set before you today, because what we see in this passage is God's great love for us. So much so, and next week we're going to hit this heavily. So much so, He wants you to be like His Son for a reason. And that's the rest of the verse. We're going to talk about the reason next week. But what we have seen is God has predestined. He's marked out the boundaries. And what are these boundaries? The boundaries are the image of Christ. And He's made you a conformed one and placed you inside of that program and said, you shall be like Christ. That's the image you will bear when this work is done. That's the process he's on, and it's such an incredible divine act. Uh, Maybe you ask this, I can't help but ask this, why me, Lord? Why would you choose me to be the recipient of your love? Why do you choose me to be saved, to be forgiven? And yet, even more than that, to be in the image of Christ. You ever feel so undeserving of anything? Maybe, maybe the Lord missed something. Maybe you snuck in accidentally. Maybe you say, oops, how'd that one get in? No, you know better than that. Psalm 139, He watches you constantly. You're the object of His delight. He sees you when you rise up. He sees you when you sit down. He hears your words even before you speak them. He knows when you're asleep. He watches for you to wake up. There's a God who loves you very, very dearly. 
And when you think about his great love for you, I turn it around and say, now what about our love for him? What about our love for him? I want to read to you something here. It's real simple. You're going to recognize it. It was written by a very humble man, they said. He was born in a log cabin. That's not Abraham Lincoln's story. He was born in a log cabin. He grew up to be a school teacher. He was the editor of a weekly newspaper. He was saved at the age of 27 and decided to go into ministry. His health couldn't take it. As a result, he stopped ministry and became an insurance salesman. You know, I'm, I stopped there, and I, I know so many pastors who became insurance agents. I don't know what that is. It's just true. I've just seen it. Next time you talk to your insurance agent, ask him if he was ever a pastor. Just, just curiosity. Anyway, this man became an insurance agent. And you say, okay, what, what's going to come of this? He wrote poetry. He'd sit down on his table, and, and he'd start to write words that go by the phrase, great is thy faithfulness. And songs like Living for Jesus. And this one, a particular favorite of mine, he wrote in 1897. His name is Thomas Chisholm. And he says, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, that is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly or forfeit all of earth's treasure, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, Loving, forgiving, tender, and kind. Helping the helpless and cheering the fainting and seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee. Lowly in spirit. Holy and harmless. Patient and brave. Meekly enduring cruel reproaches. Willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like thee. Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointed divine All that I am and have, I am bringing. Lord, from this moment, all shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee while I'm pleading. Pour out thy spirit. Fill with thy love. Make me a temple meet for thy dwelling. Fit me for life in heaven above. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, Damp thine own image deep in my heart. Do you plead like that? Have you ever spoke to the Lord like that before? Oh Lord, oh to be like thee. If you pray that way, you are praying according to His will. You see? That's what he's doing. And I just want a heart that wants to participate in the joy of that conforming to the image of Christ. Don't you? I'm going to lay that right in your lap this morning. You talk to the Lord about it. What he's doing, he's going to do. Are we going to be joyful participants? Desire it eagerly. Love what he's doing. Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now, so overwhelmed with your goodness and your love to us, thank you so very much. 
Thank you for a passage like this that keeps bringing it back to our hearts, back to our hearts, back to our hearts. And what a glorious outcome is set before us. How eagerly, I pray, we should desire this. You know every heart in this room. Maybe some of them have been kind of cold lately. They haven't spent much time with you at all. Maybe some of them have allowed busyness or or preoccupation with other things to to be the guide of their hours and their days. And they haven't given much thought to Jesus Christ and certainly have never asked such a prayer as this one, Oh, to be like Thee. Oh, to be like Thee. Lord, we do come before You today, and if that appetite's not there, we ask that You cause it to be. For you are the one who changes the heart. You're the one who gives us our desire as well. Work it in us to desire that the image of Christ be stamped on these hearts. What a change it would make for us. What a remarkable thing it would be for this church, this community, and this part of our country. That there would be those who want to be like Christ. And should love him with all their heart and desire nothing more than to resemble him in this world. Lord, impress upon us this great work, not just in our hearts, but in our minds as well, for you know how needy we are today. We rejoice in your great work. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for choosing us. In Jesus' name, amen.